Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another very special episode of the TT Podcast. It's a very exciting one for us today. We've got another pro rider on the podcast, uh, Max Stedman, who's kindly taken some time out of his schedule to speak to us and discuss some of the low points and some of the very high points of his previous season. Yeah, Max writes for Continental Team Canyon DHB Sun God. And uh, well, at the time of recording, is the holder of the British record for Everesting. But we'll go on to that very shortly. Yeah, looking forward to that because that's a uh, an obsession of mine, uh, actual Everest rather than the cycling Everesting. But hopefully you enjoy the interview, everyone. Max, good evening. Welcome to the TT Podcast. How are you? How's the uh, the winter training going? Yeah, it's going all right. Got back from uh, from Spain just over a week ago, probably to the biggest change in temperature I've ever I've ever had. Say to say that, but yeah, it's not going bad. It's not going badly at all. Really well, to be honest. Good. Uh, it's been pretty sketchy on the snow. Though. I've been out for a run this evening and it was slippy everywhere. I don't know how how much snow you've got where you are, but it was uh, it's it's been be- pretty bad today. The beauty of living in the southwest is that yeah. snow is very well, like doesn't really happen in Bristol that much. Very rarely, I think it snowed when I was in Spain, but bar that, not much. Just cold, dead cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I was talking to my housemate the other day. We went to uni in the northeast. That's where Tom's based at the moment as well. And oh, uh, we were kind yeah. of comparing it to like the beast from the east and that like mythic drop in temperature we had a few years ago and I was like this honestly feels about the same this is horrendously cold yeah I, I don't know I'd say worse in my mind the beast from the east was bad for like a few days but I feel like this is going on for well it is like almost all week basically mm. how, how how was the uh the riding out in Spain how were you getting on over there yeah good yeah really good um everything ran like as smoothly as possible uh Spain went into lockdown literally three days when we were there so well, it literally wasn't much different to here apart from, well, the temperature, essentially. <laughs> um, like cafes were takeaway only, things like that. So we just cracked on, got on with some good training and a race, luckily. Yeah, like, in, where, where were you? In Valencia. Uh, Zabia, just north okay. of Calpe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stayed in a really good place, yeah. Like, it's called Blanca Bikes. Um, essentially, it's usually like a cycling hotel, but it can double up as a B&B, so... The six of us were just uh, were just in there for three weeks, which was like really good, own space, no worries. So yeah, it was ideal. Awesome. We we actually spoke with uh, Harry Tanfield the back end of last year, who I think mentioned that he'd been to Javier as well. It's a bit of a, a cyclist mecca over there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's just a bit out of the way from Calpe, so you're not sort of in the centre of like the cycling world, it seems, in January. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. That's the first time I've sort of ridden out from there, usually staying in Calpe. So yeah, really lovely place to train in, to be honest. Awesome. Um, and also in the summer, it's not a far uh, ferry ride from Ibiza, but uh, obviously not <laughs> at the not. moment. You can see Ibiza <laughs> on, some, uh, on some good days. Um, I was going to ask you about your race program, but I understand that obviously races are a bit up in the air. So I would like to ask you kind of what are the races that you most look forward to or the ones that you kind of circle on the on the calendar when it comes out uh sort of well hilly races but a big one um in my mind tour britain depending on on the route i think uh, hopefully it'll go ahead um but we'll see uh but like this year 
think it's going to be pretty hilly. Uh, stage two finishes in Exeter, which is where I went to uni. Um, and I literally know the last like 70k with my eyes closed. It's a home then, crowd then as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I'm hoping stage three will come near Bristol, um, way, which has also be um, mega. So a couple of like home stages. I don't think personally from a Conti rider point of view, like doing well or like even winning a stage, which doesn't really happen for a Conti rider. Uh, that'd be amazing on like home roads. So that's one I've really circled for this year. And then sort of a couple of stage races in France or Hillier, not massively hilly, but like good enough for me essentially. Um, so they're always good to go for. So yeah, it should be hopefully okay this year, but wait and see. Well, it's good with you giving us that tip now. I know where to put my money when the uh, when the Tour of Britain comes around. Yeah, yeah, just just wait. Yeah, I, I just don't think you can beat like a home crowd and, and home roads, to be honest. Mm. And it's those home tough. conditions, as you've just mentioned. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's no better training for the UK races than in the UK. Don't have to go on a training camp. <laughs> it's. Uh, I would as well ask as well. I mean, obviously, a year ago, this time last year, you were, I imagine, packing your bags and heading off to Turkey to compete in the Tour of Antalya which you eventually won. Um, how important is it looking back on that race and given how reduced the Conti calendar was last season that you managed to get that win? Yeah, it's funny. Literally after that that race when sort of coronavirus was a glint, a glint in the eye kind of, although it escalated pretty quickly. I literally said, like, if we ended the season now, I'd be dead chuffed. So <laughs> probably ate, ate my words a little bit. But, like, it still stands. Like, it was pretty incredible and the margins were so tight you know those tiny little things that that got us that win and got myself that win to be honest um so yeah it's it pretty incredible and it literally the team's best result my best result ever like we couldn't have asked to to a better start of the year especially against some big pro conti teams in a world tour team you know i think it put us on the on the map a little bit as well no absolutely was it a race that you were kind of targeting going into or did the stars just align when you were there um, so I targeted to go well at New York challenge because I know those races, they're always going to be tough. Like there's going to be a hilly few days in there. And so I knew that Mallorca was going to suit me. So I just started the year as going for Mallorca and Talia was, wasn't, I hadn't even looked at the race profile for it until a couple of days after Mallorca. Um, I looked profile, saw it as a summit finish and like said to Tim, I was like, look, well, I'm going well. I had some good results. Well, a good day in, in Mallorca. So I knew I had the form and it was just a case of sort of ticking it over. Um, so it only really became a target like a couple of weeks beforehand. I've seen, I saw the footage of, uh, I think it was the third stage, which was the summit finish where it's you and a few others you're kind of like crawling over the line at the end i think i saw in an interview afterwards that you said that you we weren't even sure whether you were going into the leader's jersey or where you were in the gc and then you kind of got told afterwards and you were like, oh great well it's one stage to go now yeah well it's because the day before was carnage like horrid rain split early on in the hills and the last like 3k had like these cobbles that are basically ice um which caused a couple of splits uh through crashes and just like people taking the corners faster than others essentially i almost took uh rory out the back uh, <laughs> at one point because I, I didn't want to crash so i was like taking it easy and then i heard this shouting behind me i was like oh crap i can't take our sprinter out the back at the end of this day he's gonna be a bit annoyed so then stage three came around and i finished third on the stage just by the skin of my teeth with a good little lunge and um 
I just assumed that the two guys ahead of me on the stage uh, were in the same group as me yesterday. So I was like, well, that's pretty good. That probably means I'm third on GC. Like, I'll take that, probably hang on tomorrow. Got in the bus. We all started getting changed. And then uh, Simon Holt was like, yeah, mate, I think they want you for the podium. And I was like, oh, yeah, podium for the stage. And they're like, no, nah, mate, you're, you're in the leader's jersey. And, like, everyone sort of just, like, stopped in the bus. And then, like, quite a few expletives break out. And then we were kind of dawned on us that we were leading, like, a professional bike race, essentially. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool moment and unexpected. Yeah, that is... Um it's it always surprises me when you mentioned like you know sort of cobbles that are basically ice and because i think like antalya obviously is turkey it's a stunning part of the world and you always associate turkey with like sun and beaches and yeah. not not snowy mountains that <laughs> but they've got no some i mean proper it's a really good, somewhere. good race like the hotel mm. is like a holiday resort essentially but yeah. it's not filled up because it's obviously february two days we were there two three days beforehand and it was like 18 20 degrees and then literally the weather fell apart for the yeah. race basically it was it was kind of like the uk but a little bit warmer um so yeah i think just in that part of the world i think at that time of year for some reason you'd expect it to be as you say like dead nice but actually you can just fluctuate so much yeah. yeah um moving on from Antalya, obviously you said that you would be happy if your season ended after that unfortunately or fortunately it did uh, in a yeah. way. But I think what kind of impressed me most about you last season, Max, was the fact that you just kind of like took the ball by its horns and used that as a chance to like get on with your own challenges. Uh, the obvious one being your Everesting attempt, uh, which you're now the British record holder of Everesting. Um, other Tom here has a slight obsession with actual Mount Everest. So he has a lot of questions he wants to ask you about the technicalities of this. But just to kind of get started on that, do you mind very briefly explaining what an Everesting attempt is? Yeah, Everesting is pretty simple and disgustingly hard. Basically, you choose a climb, whatever climb in the in the world you want. You ride up it, you do a U-turn at the bottom, at the top. You ride down it, do a U-turn at the bottom, and you repeat that until you have climbed 8,848 metres vertically, uh, essentially. Or, I mean, that might change from what I've heard or read on the internet that they're remeasuring it <laughs> yeah the um, nepalese and the chinese keep having an argument over how tall everest actually is yeah yeah so that could change but yeah <laughs> essentially ride up and down the same hill until you reach the the height of everest and that's the the simplicity of the challenge right mm. and you i was gonna say your time for that was seven hours and 32 minutes for people that wanted to kind of put that into perspective uh that is frighteningly fast i think i was looking at my strava stats recently and for the entirety of last year i rode twenty thousand meters uphill um which is very little compared to that which you rode about half of that in seven and a bit hours yeah it's pretty yeah it's grim when you when you really think about it is is like horrendous like essentially what i did was 52k at 17 percent or something stupid and it's like someone just told you to do that like you just be like, nah, go away. There's no way I'm doing that. But for some reason, it just works, doesn't it? And so, what I really wanted to know was how much thought goes into um, sort of the trade-off between distance and gradients. Because if you look at the list of other of the sort of the top ten Everesting times in the world, I think you are about sixth at the moment. Yeah, um, I think that's about right. Yeah, and your time was set everyone above you did it on a lower gradient over more distance. So just how do you work out the trade-off between the two? I think 
I don't know. Some someone might someone super clever might have a, an equation yeah. out there, but essentially it's just like picking a hill local to you that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First <laughs> off, that, but you know, you lose. My house would put it in a good way, but you're effectively fighting. You're fighting gravity, and what's the best way to put it? Not like not wasting time, essentially. Um, yeah, I know you did say that. Um, you obviously cut the hill a bit short. You didn't go right to the top of it because there was a flat section in the middle that you described yeah, as exactly, just a wasted yeah. road. My housemate got it right. He's got his spot. I can't in my head. But yeah. essentially, you just want to, you don't want to waste, you don't, you want to cut out as much waste as possible from like, you don't want anything no flat that isn't going to help you to climb faster, essentially. Yeah. So any sort of flat road, anything like that, just get rid of it. Spend you spend as almost as little amount of time going downhill as possible, but going downhill as fast as possible as well. Um, you just want to spend the whole thing climbing essentially. Um, and the more you can cut down your downhill time and your turn time, the, the better. Um, it might have been too steep. I, I don't know. It's like one of those hit and miss things, but I reckon when I do do it again this year, I'll probably do it on the same climb. So this, this you, you are going to have another crack at it. Yeah, gonna have another crack at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you haven't been put off. Mm, no, nah, no. <laughs> slight pause. Slight pause there. It's. Um, I think the way you. I mean, I would. I mean, not that I'm going to ever even think about doing an Everest thing, but I would definitely tackle it the same way as you, where you think right. The well, the steeper the uphill, the faster the downhill. I know on the downhill you were hitting speeds of over a hundred kilometers an hour on some kind of anonymous road down in deepest Somerset. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I hit 100k an hour on a, on a few points. It's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty wild descent, to be honest. It's not the smoothest thing in the world. And when, when I think about it beforehand, I'm like, uh, I think about it, I'm like, nah, God, that seems quite, quite scary. But when you're in the moment and you're flying down there, you kind of forget about it all completely. Um, it's just a nice rest from not getting uphill. Yeah. It's uh, it's absolutely brutal. What so for those that seven and a half hours? What is the different stages of your mindset going through that? So I imagine the first couple of hours you're like, yeah, this is going well. I feel good. At what stage do you realise? I mean, when you're climbing actual Everest, they have a thing called the death zone, um, which is where the pressure and the oxygen gets, well, the lack of oxygen gets so overwhelming. At what stage would you say you entered the metaphorical death zone in your Everest string attempt? earlier than i would have liked to be <laughs> honest i think it's fairly easy to see i had a look at like you'll be able to see it on strava but you'll just it's like four and a half hours i think or four hours 15 there's a massive noticeable drop off in power just a wall um, that was hit and that's sort of where yeah that's literally where i hit the death zone yeah. yeah it's a good way of putting it yeah the death zone of the cycling everest essentially and from then on, it was it, it was a grim it was a grim slog, um, and that was just my fault. That was pacing, that was gearing. Like I'd already done a ridiculous ride by the time I'd hit four and a quarter hours, and still had to go. And I only kind of slipped behind record pace with like probably about an hour and a bit to go because I'd gone so hard out the gate, essentially. Um, but yeah, from there on, it from about four hours fifteen, it, it fell apart quickly. Yeah, because you mentioned that about the gearing, I know. Um, your splits did start coming back down once you, you had a bike change, didn't you? And moved on to a, a smaller chain ring and things started to improve again. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was actually uh, Tristan Robbins that I raced with from a really young age. He lived yeah. locally to Crocombe. And he was like, mate, I got 34 uh, <laughs> at home if you want it. I was like, I was desperate. I was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And then once I was on the 34, I was knocking off a minute quicker on the 34 than I was on the 36. Um, you know, just 10 RPM change made a map, yeah. well, 50 to 60 RPM. <laughs> but it felt like a, a weight, like a complete weight off uh off my legs basically you mentioning weight kind of goes into this but that's a very very tenuous segue um you must have burned a lot of calories when you did it uh i'm very curious to know what the kind of first thing you ate was after you finished that everesting attempt i think there's a picture of me up on instagram i think it's a cake someone okay. definitely baked a cake i can't remember who it was it might have been cam my girlfriend i don't know but there was a cake there and that was the first thing I ate. And then I went to Mackey's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elite level athlete. <laughs> um, I was going to ask whether you're planning on doing that again soon, but you've already mentioned that you're uh, going to put yourself through it again. Have you got a, a date that you're aiming for that? Is it a similar sort of time, end of the year? or? Uh, not sure. I need to find a sort of gap in the calendar, but I'm thinking late spring, early summer. Um and going to try and pick a day with a big tailwind, got the gearing covered um, now. So essentially, I think wind is it's not talked about much in everything. And I'm not entirely sure why everything I've watched, no one's really mm. mentioned it much. But I think if you manage to get a beast from the east going the other way, and it was like yeah. 17 degrees, I think it would make a, a massive difference to your time. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching... Um, Phil Guyman's attempts on YouTube the other day. And yeah, I don't I, remember... I've been watching them to keep, just to keep an eye on the competition see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember him mentioning the wind at all. It's, I think people are too concerned with picking the perfect climb for it with the perfect percentages and the perfect downhills and everything that people don't yeah. forget about the basics of it. Literally, yeah. If you have a massive tailwind, you can take five to 10 seconds off easily and already you've saved 10 minutes just by having a massive tailwind whereas people concentrate on the little bit save like 100 grams here take a bottle cage off mental things where just the weather if it's in your if it's in your favor it can make a huge difference um, it's interesting that because um most events obviously have to be run on like a circular course or something to mitigate for that but with the average thing they'll just let you take the tailwind yeah exactly yeah literally yeah <laughs> tailwind free you don't you won't notice it 100k an hour going down it at yeah. all either which would be a nice a nice breeze Everything aside, I think another big thing that you did last season was the esports world championships. Um, you, I was looking at the kind of results from that uh, the other day and looking at the power output. Um, I saw that you were one of three riders that managed to do over five watts per kilogram. I think the only one that did better than you was Domenico Pozzovivo, who did it at 5.5 watts per kilogram. I think that puts into perspective how difficult it is to do that i know you're quite well versed in the zwift universe and everything but kind of how was that experience for you yeah it was first off uh have you guys ridden zwift much i haven't i haven't no you haven't uh, okay so everyone claims the algorithm's good for light riders but i actually think it flicks you quite a lot on the flat um i obviously i had gcn there filming it and um someone was asking like does he usually ride at the back of the peloton? And I wasn't riding at the back of the peloton at choice. I was riding as easy as I possibly could. 
without getting dropped. But that was essentially, for some reason, the algorithm works how it kind of would on the flat that like is a little bit harder for the for the lighter riders. Um, so that'd be an interesting one. I don't know if they'll ever change the algorithm to try and make the racing a little bit more exciting as well. Because there's no sort of reason to uh, to attack. Like the group goes so fast that it's kind of hard just to to break away. But saying that, it was it was a really cool experience, even if it was like it was hard to tell whether you'd get those sort of big event nerves. But it genuinely did feel like in the in the sort of build up to it, especially with sort of GCN there and a few people watching, um, it kind of made it like there was a bit of tension in the air. It was quite it was quite cool to be honest. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, you were the the first British rider over the line. You came twenty eighth overall. Yeah, I don't know how much planning you could do for it. I mean, it's I feel like Swift racing is just so unpredictable that kind of anything can happen in them. Yeah, it is, and then it all like it also isn't like the guy who won is ridiculous level on Swift has ridden it hasn't actually raced on it that much, but had ridden it a lot. And I think if you ride like I tried to ride the course as much as possible. There, there's just a lot more technical things that you probably don't think about that actually go on. You can just save so much energy if you're in the right place at the right time. Like I think the Canadian team attacked over the top of the second to last climb and I was near the back and I was literally like sprinting after on downhill to try and get back on, which like that was just a complete tactical mistake. But if you knew what you were doing and you knew that was kind of going to happen, then you would have been more aware to it. So there is. So I, sorry, I, was just, I find it um, when people talk about esports, I picture people sat down playing FIFA. Like this is a this is a proper sport. You're still expending so much energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to find a new term for it. I guess yeah. like what what's the uh, what is esports and what's just gaming essentially yeah um, well that's what it is for me because this 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 could easily just go down as a real sport there's tactics yeah exactly there's, yeah um, there's effort <laughs> so yeah you can you can prepare for it in a way just knowing like where where the climbs are when it's going to kick off where to use your power-ups yeah it's a bit like it's a bit of a weird one that it kind of is just not like road racing at all in terms of tactics did you did you approach it with kind of team tactics or was it just let's try and keep on and see where we are at the end. Yeah, it was basically, let's try and keep on and see where we are at the end. We kind of, we knew it was kind of probably going to be me and Tom for that last climb the way it was, but like the races are so, well, you've seen like five watts a kilo for an hour. Like they're hard as it is. So just getting towards the end in that group is a good step. And then if you're there, then you just try and leave it all out on the road. But that's the difference. The good guys save energy like I think the winner did like 4.3 compared to me at five. So he saved energy, which means he's just a little bit fresher. Whereas I got to that last climb, did like 20 seconds out of the saddle and then was basically cooked. So um, this is what I was, it's interesting you say that because I was very surprised to see that because I was looking, obviously the UCI released the sheet with all the different watts per kilogram and the winner ended up doing it, as you said, about 4.3, but everyone between the winner and yourself was somewhere between like 4.4, 4.5 and like the high 4.8, 4.9. So it's, I was confused. I was like, how has this person managed to get away with expending such little energy and still winning the race? Yeah, it's just, it's just knowing how to, how to race Swift, essentially. And I think there is an optimal weight for it as well, where you can roll along the flat a bit and you've got the punch uphill as well. 
you know, if it was like Alp de Zwift or something like that, then obviously it'd suit me. It's just pure watts per kilogram, and then it'd suit me a bit better. But on courses like that, where it's a bit punchy, if you are a bigger rider, you can save more energy. And then if you know the game really well, like Jason did, then you can save even more energy and you're just, you're so much fresher for the end that you can punt out big watts he was doing. And then if you're positive, Evo is a smart guy, but seemed to race that really stupidly <laughs> because he should he shouldn't have been punting out half a of kilo more than everyone else essentially. And I was how has he managed to do five point five over about an hour and twenty minutes? I think he did over. I was like keeled over, dying. Yeah, I think it is just like I don't know. Some people panic as well, like you don't want to get dropped, so you just try harder or you don't really clock what other people are good doing. You're just riding as hard as you can, essentially, which is where mm. people go wrong. You sort of just got to just sort of sit back a little bit and then like try and glass crank and see at what point you start sliding back through the group and at what point you just end up wasting energy at the front. Yeah. How did that compare to, obviously you competed in the under 23s race at the world championships in Innsbruck. How did it, how did the two experiences compare? Yeah, completely different. Like by, I mean, first off, I was in my, I sat on my bed about an hour before the race, like own bed, which was <laughs> bizarre experience in itself, in itself. But it's just like this was kind of obviously because of the pandemic. It was a bit like GB were like, right, this is what you're doing, um, but like essentially, we're going to send you some stuff, uh, nutrition, try and help you as much as possible. But you're essentially on your own. Whereas obviously in Innsbruck, you had like chef the team constantly there like helping you and things like that so in that instance it was just kind of less poor like it's very individual you know you're selected for gb we're going to try and help you as much but there's only so much we can do from from like a remote location essentially so in that way it was was a bit different yeah but there still was not there was a little less pressure i think with this on on myself from that point of view of course how was the i mean it seems like a world away now the innsbruck circuit but how how was that whole experience in general i mean the the race itself was just a ridiculous circuit i guess it kind of suited a climber like yourself as well yeah i just i didn't have my best day by far like i was hopeful we had a really good squad like and i mean that proved it ethan and james were in the top 10 like we had mark donovan Stevie Williams like it was it was a really good squad um and it was kind of like we all kind of wanted to do something there like five under 23s all good riders we all wanted just to be there but it was a case of see who gets round see who gets round the circuit in the best shape towards the end and then sort of go from there but obviously you know I think it was like second time up maybe uh I got dropped I just didn't didn't function particularly well, to be honest. I think I went so hard trying to peak for Tour of Britain, had a really good Tour of Britain, got ill after Tour of Britain. I was just, I was just a bit fried, basically. Mm. So I, I was disappointed with that, but the whole experience was incredible. Like going to a world like that is something that I dreamed of when I started riding a bike, like the atmosphere and things like that. It's an, mm. it's an incredible sort of place, place to be in. Um, finally, Max, uh, just for people who obviously want to improve their climbing ability, you are known as a bit of a mountain goat. So what advice would you give to people looking to improve their climbing? Uh, go out, go out and climb. 
do do the thing you your week out essentially like just go out plan plan a hilly route um gearing is a big one like you don't want to be like it was for the Everest and you don't want to be laboring over a big gear it just causes so much more fatigue you don't want to be Chris Froome don't get me wrong you don't need to do it in like 100 rpm but you don't want to be doing like 60 70 uh you need to find a good middle ground and just like yeah I don't know I just enjoy climbing because you're always you always get something at the top you know a view some sort of accomplishment like is always nice you just find yourself in a rhythm so I guess it's it's kind of that just just settle in for the for the sort of long run on the on the climb Not get yourself the advice a nice that the listeners will want to hear we want a nice quick easy fix minimal effort <laughs> no yeah <laughs> I guess it's like well you know the good thing about cycling is that the, the people who work hard will always yeah get to the top so it's just a case of practice practice riding up get a really light bike you do that or <laughs> yeah there, there are no easier ways you or yeah get someone to push you e-bike yeah as well. okay that's that's the fix yeah. <laughs> um was was there kind of when you first got into cycling was there anybody on the professional circuit that you i, I don't want to use the term idolize because i feel like idol is such a cliche but was there anyone whose style you tried to to emulate yeah they're quite i would say i mean lance was the first one but, yeah. no. as soon as you started like, hesitating you, there I was yeah, like yeah, yeah. when you start riding a bike in 2003 or whatever it was there's only one person you're going to look up to um, and then sort of after that like Contador um, I really liked his style sort of just like the entertainment factor as well like cycling is you know sport at the end of the day is entertainment and like Contador some of his long range attacks things like that they, completely they just agree it. with that like, I, I love Con- I love Contador style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exciting for all this. Like, just, it makes races exciting. You can't knock someone going for an eighty k attack. Like yeah. it just it just lights the whole thing up. Um, so I say he was yeah quite a big idol. Someone I looked at as like yeah I'd like to be a rider like him. And then nowadays probably like Alaphilippe to be honest. I mean the guy again the same sort of like today i think he launched it from like 70k to go first race of the season like any sort of any rider who's entertaining and can get results i think that's like the coolest thing i was watching the coverage today and i was like i wonder how long it's going to be before the word panache is mentioned yeah. and then alaphilippe launches an attack with 70k to go i was like and right on cue thank you yeah much. yeah isn't it yeah you can't you can't really beat it. So yeah, any sort of rider like that, I kind of look to a pretty cool rider and someone that I'd like to emulate. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much, Max. Thank you so much for your time. We uh, very much look forward to you winning those two stages in the Tour of Britain later on this year. Yeah, yeah be there. Go, get your paddy power up. <laughs> awesome. All the best, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, Cheers guys. Max. Thank you very much.